0: And welcome to Climbing Consulting with me, your host, Nick Sinnett. Today's guest is Joanna Hall. Joanna was introduced to me by a friend of mine, James Mitra at JBM Consulting. As a recruiter, James has a huge network. And when I asked him for recommendations for people to interview for the podcast, he pointed me straight to Joanna. Joanna is a hugely experienced senior leader who has transitioned her career from that of a successful executive, rapidly scaling consulting practices, and something we discuss in today's interview, to a non-executive director advising boards on how they can do the same. Prior to moving to this portfolio career, Joanna built and grew a number of successful software businesses and consulting practices at places like CSC, eValue, and North Highland. During her last executive role at North Highland, she oversaw the growth of their financial services practice, growing revenue fivefold and increasing profit margins by over 40% in under two years. If you're interested in finding out how to replicate Joanna's success, or like the idea of stepping into more of a portfolio career yourself, then this episode is a must listen. We discuss a whole range of areas in this conversation, including the key fundamentals and obstacles to consider when developing your own consulting business or practice area, the importance of getting close to your customer when developing your consulting proposition, and how you too can make the step into a portfolio advisory career. I really enjoyed speaking with Joanna, and I'm sure you'll get a lot from what she has to say. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Joanna Hall. Hi, Joanna. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Uh, Thank you for inviting me.
0: How are you doing today?
1: Yeah, very well. Yes, busy day as per usual.
0: Fantastic. And we'll get get into what's keeping you busy at the moment and, and how you got into it, because I think it's a very different route to some consultants. And just for context for my listeners, I went out to a friend of mine, James Mitra from JBM, and said... He, he likes the podcast. He's, and I said, you know, you know that I'm doing this. Who should I speak to? Who, who in your network? And he's got a huge network. Should I go and get on the podcast? Who would you like to hear from? And you were the name he gave me. So great to have you on the show. Very excited about this and look forward to discussing some of the great things you've done and sharing a lot of advice with my listeners. Great. So to kick us off, Joanna, for, for those who don't know you as well, it'd be great to share that background and really how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah, so I've uh, I've been in uh, had a thirty year career in professional services and financial services, um, generally specialising in the wealth management, life and pensions, insurance. So I've covered quite a broad range of financial services, both in the retail and corporate sectors. And in terms of my my background, I actually. You know, I have to, I have to be honest, I, I didn't, it wasn't something I thought oh, I really must go into financial services. I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I left university. And I, as I said, I think I, rather than the Cheryl Sandberg lean in, I actually fell into financial services. <laughs> so at the time, I was really interested in marketing and, and that side of things. And I'd, I'd done some work experience whilst I was at university. And I thought, oh, I'll go down the sort of marketing route. And I actually wanted to go and work in an, one of the airlines. But unfortunately, um, there was a, a, a war on time and nobody was hiring so I actually came across an advert, she's how long ago this was, but I came across an advert in a paper uh, which talked about marketing but in finance and I thought well I'm not really interested in the finance bit but I enjoy the marketing and um, I actually ended up in Fidelity. At the time it was a lot smaller company than it is today but growing very rapidly and actually that really shaped I think where I've sort of Really, how I've ended up today, to be honest. So it was a very customer-oriented, very innovative, entrepreneurial, fast-moving organization. And, and actually, I assumed that that's what work was like. I thought that's what, what everyone experienced when they when they went to, went to work. And for the first uh, year or so, it was it was just so much going on. You could literally go on holiday for a couple of days, and you come back, and things have changed massively now. Um, and as I say, I thought that was the world of work. And then they um, experienced the market crash, which is quite a, a, just after the hurricane back in, in the late 80s. And uh, the department I was in, there were about 50 of us. So I think when I joined, there were probably about five. Uh, so within a year or so, it grown phenomenally, but went back down to 10 from uh, 50. From that point, which was quite a it was, a, it was a bit like a car crash, to be honest, in terms of, you know, in terms of the stop. And I ended up doing, I ended up moving into more, so I was doing a lot of work in um, around the products and working with uh, advisors, uh, um, brokers, sorry, and also the consumer market. And I moved then into sort of internal consulting. So it was a bit like troubleshooting, which was, which was very interesting because I was able to go to various countries and what have you and in fact i um, because of my degree was in spanish they sent me off to spain because at the time when fidelity bought or sold any stocks on the uh, on the borsa which is the spanish stock exchange um it actually made the market swing massively because they were such large trades compared to the size of the market and um, but the downside was that um the admin that came off the back of that so it got into a bit, bit of a mess. I was sort of sent over to, to try and well, sort that out, or work, work with the brokers and the administrators to sort that out. So I actually did quite quite a lot of things which were, you know, really exciting at the time and my, my early 20s. But I got to a point where because of the crash and, and I think partly because some of the work I ended up doing, I wanted to go a bit broader than just stay with one company. So I happened again to come across an advert, and this time it was for KPMG, who at the time was setting up a new consulting arm in the insurance sector. So I went and started there, very junior, and and it was a bit of a sink or swim, because I just sort of ended up there and thought, gosh, what am I going to do? You know, I've, I've got no idea what consulting is, really. I thought I'd done a bit at Fidelity, but it was a very different kettle of fish. And it was a very much a startup at the time in the insurance sector and there were no real sort of propositions or you know what we were going to sell so i had to sort of develop stuff and take it to market and there wasn't a there wasn't a set infrastructure so it was very much persuading the audit team to allow us to go and speak to their clients which sometimes is easier said than done when you're, you know, and I can understand it, you don't want, you know, who do you want to, someone you don't really know to go and talk to your clients who might say something they shouldn't or what have you. But it was such a great grounding to, to uh, around sort of company startup, which is probably, which you'll, you'll see has sort of shaped a lot of what I've done. So I, I actually, over a, a, a number of years, I worked for two of the big four, KPMG and Ernst Young that then got bought out by Capgemini, and I also worked for two of the largest actuarial firms, Bacon and Woodrow, um, which split and went to uh, Deloitte, and um, the other half going to Aon Hewitt or Aon now. And then Tillinghast Tilling House Perrin. So, uh, uh, again, fantastic opportunity. And uh, two, two of them were, were growth, sort of startup growth com- companies where I had to grow something from a very sort of small, small end. And some were more established. Um, and that was that was more finding new new clients um, to, um, to to help the business, and then from from there I then moved into technology, which was really starting to boom. Just this is sort of post the the, the dot com bubble, but there was a, such a lot going on with technology and financial services. And I have to say, it's a sort of all roads lead to Rome these days with technology. So that that I ended up working for a software company, who basically was product based. So they were most of the work they did was selling technology or software to companies but they wanted to move the value chain to much more consulting so there was myself and uh, a couple of other people from other some of the other big uh, big four who were brought in to to set up the 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 organization and I, I I sort of headed up the wealth management side from scratch and that was a really interesting time because When I got there, it was very much there was nothing really there from a proposition point of view. So I had to come up with a a a way of actually developing business essentially. And at the time, as I say, because of technology and platforms were still in their early throes. So I came the idea of a a sort of what's now known known sort of corporate wealth platform. But you know, we're going back now well over Mm -hmm. ten years ago. And but that was it was the idea of it was much more holistic than just uh, sort of employee benefits. It also encompassed other products and services that could be used by the employee but not just from a a, a company perspective but also anything they might have accumulated over the years or they wanted to bring in so it would give them a a much more holistic picture of what they have rather than um, everything looking at it in, in silos so I was there for a while and then I got approached by one of the partners actually from one of the big the big actuarial firms who had developed some software as a provider of digital software covering financial services. And they wanted to take that out of the organisation when that got taken over. And I became sales and marketing director. And for that, I, I, it was a sort of startup, again, because the, there was no sales or marketing uh, functionality um, because they didn't need it whilst they were in the large firm. So again, it was, it was really, you know, using part of my consulting background, but also I'm i Institute of Marketing Certified. So uh, I also was using, I guess it's part of my qualification to actually help develop that business. And then sort of potted history, I then I then pension freedoms came around and I just felt actually all these years, a lot of the restriction around what could be done was very much because of regulation. And suddenly there was an opportunity to be much broader. So I ended up then uh, moving to a US global consulting firm as head of financial services, professional services consulting. And over a two-year period, grew the business. I increased the revenue from by five hundred percent, margin by forty percent, and it became the wow. large, the uh, third largest office globally out of nineteen. And and then I had I'd been there a couple of years and, uh, and a bit like um, I was sort of use the analogy, really, the uh, Alex Ferguson versus Arsene <laughs> You know, <laughs> At what point do you if you want to do something different, do you go? And uh, I, I had just as I'd approached the sort of two year mark, I actually met up with an ex-client who was also an ex-colleague, actually, as well, who was also a non-exec director really from there. That sort of got me quite interested in, because of my background in consulting, to look at you know what to, to do in the in the portfolio career world. Because I, I felt I've been doing sort of a, although wearing different hats, doing the same sort of things. A lot of business startups, quite grueling, it's quite intense for short periods of time, or for the time to get it going. And uh, mm. and I actually really wanted to do something a bit different. So I'm now in a portfolio career. It's a combination of business consulting, board advisory, and non-exec. Director roles. Well, I do answer. want to come
0: on to <laughs> the portfolio career because, like I said right back at the start, it's quite a it, it seems like a growing approach to senior careers, but it's still quite uncommon. And I'm really keen to understand how you how you got into that and how you're growing that. I do though, you know, the stats you mentioned there around 500 percent revenue growth, uh, 40% plus profit when you're at North Highlands. Be really interested to spend some time on that. So Many of my listeners do actually run their own firms, I've got partner level listeners who are running practice areas. And something from what you've been, you know, from that potted history you've just shared, it, you seem to have a track record of going in where there's no sales capability and building one and doing that very successfully. It'd be, it'd be great to understand more around how you got North Highlands to where it is. And maybe start with, you know, what, what was it in the early days that you had to put in place to build that foundation that became the the growth you saw?
1: Yeah, so I guess when I joined there, they they, they had some really good, really strong propositions, but mainly in the UK that were mainly in non-FS industries, so telecoms, mm. retail, which was, was by far much further ahead than financial services. So that was the thing that actually excited me um, to join the company because it was something that was... I, I, I thought was crying out in the financial services industry that hadn't really been experienced. Whereas in retail and telecoms, as I say, they're much further ahead. I have to say, having gone to lots of different companies, I think one of the things is having a strong proposition is really key, particularly if you haven't got a known brand, mm. it's much easier to open doors with, with a known brand uh, and also land the work compared to a brand that's not known. So I was I always look at these things as a bit of a dual strategy. So there's an element of making sure you've got a really clearly articulated proposition and has that has a uniqueness of differentiation that's based around the company. So it could be the type of people that in terms of their skill set, it could be some of the work that they've already done that may not be related to financial services necessarily that can bring to bear and can be adapted for, for the industry. But the uh, essentially uh, that was uh, for me, it was really having that hook or that that element to, to really focus on to almost be a bit of a thin end of the wedge through which you mm. could then pull through other propositions that were linked. So for me, it was customer experience, you know real hot topic it still is actually at the time. fantastic, as I say, fantastic work that had been done. So I had to sort of get my head around what the type of work that had been done, but then also how does that now apply to to the industry, to the financial services industry? And that was the starting point. And then in parallel with that, it's also about raising the profile and awareness of the organisation, because it's not enough just to say I've got this great product or what have you. (laughs) People have to feel comfortable and confident to to buy it effectively, Mm. to buy the, the service. So I also spent quite a bit of time with uh, with journalists and through through the PR agency that the organization had uh to uh, to really sort of i guess uh, send the message out in terms of you know what what the uh, what the elements were around uh, that linked to the proposition. So it wasn't saying we do this, we do that. it was more um how does that apply in, in financial services and, and how could financial services benefit? so the other things that we did were some breakfasts and forums. Where we mm. brought in people from some of the retail industry, some of the people who are leading leading the way, uh, and uh, and telecoms industry, and that really that really attracted people from financial services to come and listen and to say so it wasn't about us as a consultants, but more about what that what was being learned from from other industries. So that really helped as well.
0: And on the proposition point, again, just just for clarity, is how broad or narrow do you did you or do you take those propositions. So, you know, you mentioned customer experience. Is that going out and saying, we are a customer experience practice and we can help you with a range of things? Or did you narrow that down to, you know, like you mentioned, sort of almost a productized offering and then went out with that?
1: Yeah, uh, well, to start with, it it probably wasn't. I wouldn't say it was productized. It was more thought leadership uh, Mm. around customer experience, and then how that impacts the industry, and obviously when talking to organisations, how that how that specifically um, aligns to them, Uh, and bringing out what the value is, because obviously you know you're competing with a lot of other um, organisations. So, and one of the things that I have. I guess over the years that I've worked in consulting, that consultants are particularly bad at, is actually articulating the value. So what is the mm. value? So it's not about, you know, we do this, we do that, we do the other, and this is how we do it. Actually, what what the clients are really keen to understand is, well, what was the outcome? So what what's the value generated by what you did, as opposed to the activities that you undertook? So I, I had to spend quite a bit of time really to get, to get really under the skin of of you know what were the outcomes from the work that was done as opposed to just what were the activities that took place and also things like where the, the lessons were learned because the whole the ultimately what clients want to know as well is well can i can you if you've done this sort of thing before you know, I'd like to work with you, but I don't want to, I don't, I don't necessarily want to go at, you know, snail's pace. I want to use that to really leverage um, so I can sort of, you know, leapfrog in the market. I, I don't want to have to bear all the scars that you might have had beforehand. So, uh, so I, th- I think that to my mind, it's very much going in quite focused. I mean, that's something that I've really learned along the way. D- don't be t- too broad. Uh, but also at the same time be able to be adaptable to the client's situation so if you, if you go if you go too narrow and it's a bit you know a bit like the can of beans or what have you and that's it um that you know the, the client may not want a can of beans or you know if equally if you if you say well I, I only do a Rolls Royce and the client wants a mini again it, it, it's it's you know ultimately it's really understanding what the client's challenges well the industry challenges the client's specific challenges and then where does what you offer align to that but having enough of a as I say enough of a hook and you can articulate what that value is that that can link back to that it sounds a bit <laughs> bit bit woolly but but that's essentially that's essentially the, the way in which it will hopefully resonate with with the client uh so that mm. they as I say they really understand what it means to them specifically rather than something that's quite generic.
0: I want to touch on on the point you mentioned actually around the lessons learned because I think one thing that in consulting we often do, and whether you're an independent or a, you know inside a firm, you pitch yourself in your best light, and you, know, you only have to look at everyone's LinkedIn profiles to see you know all of the accolades and and sort of none of the battle scars. And that point you you made around actually clients value and buy that. I'd be interested how how you went about how do you position that you know what what is the conversations you you had with clients to position those battle scars as a benefit and and not get a client worried that actually there might have been so much wrong with the last project they might have problems with you as a consulting firm when you come in here
1: um and, and I think that uh, you know in terms of lessons learned I mean I always when I'm looking at developing a proposition or you know based on what's what, what other projects have gone on before, um, mm. What I'm very keen to understand is, you know, what were what were the issues, but then how, how are they overcome? And I think part of it is how you over, it's a bit, I always have this mantra, which is, it's not what happens to you, it's how you deal with it. And that's something I've always taught my children. And I think the same equally applies in the consulting world. Uh, or anything in business, to be honest, where it, it's 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 really thinking about what, well what happened there and then how do you, how do you overcome it to make sure you mm. you know you get the thing over the line. So, and I think it's been quite open about where the potential issues are. And I think that's something that clients appreciate because you can you can talk much more richly about you know some of the some of the elements of the project or the or the area that you're covering. Um, to be able to say well you know in this circumstance this type of thing happened or this this was the issue um but this is the way that, that that it can be overcome or you can you can apply it when talking to the client about their own issue to say well actually you know in my experience this is what this is what happened, has happened in the past but this is how we dealt with it or how it was dealt with
0: mm. and uh, apologies I, I interrupted as you were you were sort of explaining the broader proposition so you, you've developed the proposition you you've gone out to the the mark, you've sort of brand marketing, you're doing the events. How did you bring all that together? And what, what was the turning point for you with North Highlands?
1: So the, well, I think it's like, it's, it's sort of spinning lots of plates <laughs> that hopefully all spin <laughs> together. So so you've got the proposition, you've got going out to market, but you've also got, the one thing I haven't really touched on, which is the people. I mean, that, you know, that plays such a huge part in all this. And, um, you know, certainly, you know, fantastic people that, that I work with really en- enthusiastic, really good at what they, they do. And, um, and that, that really plays a massive part if, if you've got... So one of the things, it's, it's interesting, one of the things when, um, I th- and uh, it'd be interesting to understand what other people think of this, but you know, when you're, if you're going to a company and you're, you're fairly senior, it's not like you've grown up in the company, you've got this sort of very strong but invisible infrastructure or network Uh, quite hard to describe so you can imagine having a a net (laughs) that's grown up so it props you up Uh, you don't have that when you go into a new company you you have you have nothing you know no one no one knows you so you have to you have to build your 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 network very quickly and and you know there is quite a a reliance on making sure even if you're building if you're building a team and, and they're coming from outside you'll not get them out you'll not get them in straight away so you really need to make sure that you've got the relationships built internally because actually they're the people that can really help you because they will know where to go um, you know, to get the relevant information. So you know, go back to customer experience, they w- would know who to talk to or you know, different ways in which different consultancies approach things. Again, it's, you need that sort of in, invisible network of people who can actually get you to where you need to get to quite quickly because you can't, you can't do it on your own. And it's really important that actually you really understand that organization and that differentiation that organization brings because that's part of you know, what, you're, what you're taking to market.
0: How do you do that quickly? I, and you can tell me if you didn't because I, I, I'm only assuming there. if you were given the speed at which you, you, know, you delivered the results there, you must have built that network relatively quickly so you could start some of these uh, other elements of your, you know, your marketing and your sales plan. How, how did you grow that network so quickly internally?
1: I think what helped was was uh, it was uh, very much positioned as one team rather than silos in an organization. Uh, mm. So so people sort of, it was quite fluid in terms of people coming and going. Now, that does have its downside because you could be working with people and then they've disappeared off and you have to start all over again. So there are, you know, there are downsides. But the, the upside of it is it helps you to navigate your way through. So people aren't necessarily ring fenced into, parts of the business you so it's difficult to get hold of them i mean that that can be a problem going into a company if, if every if everyone's set up in teams and and you know you, you want to try and leverage some experience in a particular team that's not your team for example so i think a collegiate um environment is is really important because then you're it's easy to, easier to um obtain or understand the information that, that you need i think there's also an element of taking time up front to actually go around and meet everybody as much as you can really understand what pe- different people can bring to the table in terms of knowledge experience um, and having people that you can work with to help develop Because do these things on your own you can't do it on your own otherwise you'd be a, <laughs> you'd be having your own company so it's really trying to I suppose hit the ground running to actually spend the time with the people and, and, and build that sort of trust and uh, understand the knowledge and get influence I suppose people to help you develop that and, and make it you know exciting and something that you know they want to be part of
0: and as part of that did you have the the growth plan or in your head or written down is is that something you shared with people when you first met them or is it something that you developed as you went around met the stakeholders found out where you could sort of take some of, leverage some of the elements they were doing in other industries let's say or was it a mixed approach
1: bit of both, really. I suppose I had, going in, I had a thought, this is what I quite like to, you know, sort of, I I want to achieve. But there's, I think you have to also treat it as a bit of a consulting project. So you need to get your research in first and really understand the business, where they're at at the moment, where the gaps are, et cetera, et cetera, and then sort of build your plan around that. So I had a, I suppose I had a bit of a framework, but not the detail because... I did what I didn't want to do was to to go in with assumptions when I didn't really understand enough about the business. and 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 I didn't really fully know, even though the area that I started with, I thought I might get might start with that route. I, I didn't know until I got there whether that would be right. and I still wanted to kept an open mind, I guess, until I'd mm. spoken to people about
0: that. and I think that that brings us quite nicely on to the the sort of other element of that growth story around. Obviously, you over time you develop the the proposition and the core elements, like you say, the people, the marketing, the events. Do you remember anything along the way that that didn't work so well, and that how you how you responded and reacted to that? Well, that's probably lots of
1: things, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I guess in some of the, I, I guess it comes back to uh, again, you know, it, it's it's not what happens, it's how you deal with things. So. You know, you, yeah, I'm an optimistic person, and obviously, when you go into to building a business, you have targets and goals. And, and I have to say, I don't think you know at in, in the beginning of a year where I've ended up at the end of the year is, is is how I imagined it. As in, it may be a different client than I thought it may take i think it always takes uh, particularly if you're going into a, a company new it takes always takes longer than you think to get things going So i'm quite an impatient mm. person so i yeah and, and 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 clients take time because it's like well you know where who, you know where do you you know who, who do you work for who are they particularly if it's not a name brand who, who are they and they've got to really understand that that organization and and also i think In terms of the the getting to know the people as well, so I think there's a there's a time I when I go when I go into an organisation to, as I say, to really understand and um, learn what that organisation's about and the people and where you know where's the based on what's happening in the industry and where potential issues are in the industry. How can I bring all that together um, and get that get that out to market? Mm -hmm. And I think the, the one thing that I have learned is. You, know, if you if you start going down a, a particular route and it's not working, don't get too hung up about it. Come back and, 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 and try somewhere else. So it, it's it's not to, you know, just to get <laughs> to get bogged down too much, I suppose. Always have that helicopter view in terms of where you want to get to and you know might try one thing and that doesn't quite work so try something else and I think that's where the sort of fail fast bit comes in but I think there's also the focus part so sometimes you can get quite distracted about new opportunities and I think the the downside of that is that then you're never doing enough properly and and I think one of the key things that I say to my own clients is what do you want to be famous for and, and really get focused on that rather than trying to be too much. So again, going into an organisation, I wouldn't try to, even if they've got, you know, 50 propositions, I wouldn't try and go for the 50 propositions. I'd really, as I say, hone in on what's that one or two things, two maximum really, and, and really, really, really focusing on on that and, and really try and get the organisation positioned around, around that um, and I think the other thing as well is from a commercial perspective. So it's it's mm. very easy to, you know, you want to get the business in and prove and then, you know, you, you can end up under undervaluing what you're what you're effectively selling so I think again one of the things I've really learned is being commercial about it and 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 having the you know what is the value you're delivering because then when you're talking about pricing you can articulate what the value is rather than it cost x well yeah so what (laughs) Uh, what is the value you're delivering that's because it should be x plus in terms of what you're delivering
0: and is that something that, because we talked about, you know, defining your value as a firm, is that something that comes off the back of that? I'm really interested if there are, for my listeners, people who are currently pricing up jobs. And like you say, I've been on both sides of the coin where you you give discounts and see discounts. And actually being able to have that value conversation is, is something that some do better than others. And it I guess it's at what level do you define that value to be able to defend a certain day rate or set a minimum threshold in terms of negotiation?
1: Yeah, I think it so so to a degree, I do think it does come down to what it is you're offering. So consulting such a wide, a wide sort of offering. So I think there's one end of the spectrum in consulting where you might be offering someone to help. So I, I think of like augmentation. So where you know you've got the client has a project, they've got a gap in terms of the the person that they need to fulfil the project,
0: mm-hmm. and it may
1: be a, quite a generic skill set, and they just need that to get that done. And the client has has the risk of that project and delivery. But if you if you like hires or rents that person to help to to, to deliver as part of the team. And that's quite different to my mind if you're at the other end of the spectrum where it's around expert, something that's expertise-led. So the person that's or the team that's working on that tends to be, they're responsible. So it could be the, the, uh, in that re- scenario, it's the consultant that's responsible for the project delivery, carries the risk, carries the risk of the, the people, the time. You know what's delivered because they're bringing a specific expertise to the client and that, I think both of those have very different pricing options. so um, you tend to find the generic ones tends to be a day rate and the the expertise led tends to be a, this is the price for delivery of the project and this is the outcome you'll get and that's what the price is based on. but obviously in coming up with the pricing on that, Obviously, it's taking into account the costs of the, you know, costs of the people, uh, essentially. Obviously, what 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 can be borne in in the market, but there are also. I think that comes comes back to my point that I made earlier, which is about the value that you're delivering as a consultant. So, if you can articulate what the value is, and the value is more than the price um, that you're you're putting on the table, and you can articulate what the value is from that, then that should that should work. I'm not saying it works all the time. from a client's perspective there are different ways I guess of negotiating from uh, risk reward you know so there could be some sort of trade-off there could be uh, you know there are, there, are, there are lots of different ways of w- without I suppose undermining the value because I think the worst thing is to say this is what it costs but will it automatically, you know, but you can have it for, you know, X minus, um, it, then it's like, well, why do you have a pricing policy then anyway, <laughs> to start with? So uh, there's a lot of things that, that come into play. But to my mind, I think it comes back to the value aspect in terms of, of what's, what is the outcome, what's what's being delivered? And, and therefore, how does that then stack up against, you know, mm. the cost of actually doing that?
0: What is it that, you've seen or see now with with your clients that the consulting firms actually get wrong when it comes to that growth journey. So we've talked about the elements that you put in place to to create that growth. What is it that you find firms are doing that is stopping that? Or what do they get wrong when it comes to the focus on growing a practice area or a a whole consulting business?
1: Well, it could be a number of things. So it could be they ha- they're not very clear on what what they want to be famous for and what their proposition is so they're either too generic or or they you know they they're, they're lost in the noise of other consultancies so you need to be very specific in terms of what do i want to be famous for and and get really focused on that what they in terms of being able to articulate that and and to have other people to so almost like have their own elevator pitch so they can if if any of the people in the firm meet people and they can identify that sort of opportunity and also to be able to articulate what they can bring to to the table in relation to the opportunity. I think there's also the, the commercial aspect in terms of pricing because you know if you start down a spiral it's very hard it's very hard to climb up. Yeah. <laughs> um versus if you you're starting at a particular point and and you can and you can um, be confident about it as well. I think that's half the battle. But there is also uh, you know when you're trying to build a business at the end of the day in consulting it's down to the people so it's finding the people and particularly if you don't have a brand you've got to persuade people who've never heard of you (laughs) to come and and work for that for that organization so there's an element of being very clear on what that you know what is the differentiator of you know why would i work for a rather than b um so what what is it that that the organization can what's the benefit of, of working for that organization and then there's, I, I think there's a, a lot of a lot of people miss out on, actually, from a client's perspective. It's not just I've got this great product, service, or whatever it is. Um, there's there's also, I think, a parallel point to that, which is really building the building the the voice of the business out, uh, in the marketplace. So that's mm. about raising the profile. Uh, so it's all the marketing stuff, I guess, um, off the back of that. Uh, And and at the same time, you know, the the clients themselves is is building that momentum. And it it can take a longer time to get there, particularly if it's in an expertise led that they've not heard of the the organisation before um, to get
0: them Mm. comfortable with that organisation. How much... Do you tend to put in terms of, we talked about the marketing piece, a number of guests who I've had on and just others in the industry talk a lot about the relationship side as well. So there's the getting yourself out in the market and there's also the growing the depth of your relationship so that people come to you as a as a person as well as a brand.
1: So I think it's both. So I think it's a dual strategy that that um, people need to adopt. You can't have one without the other, really, I, I don't <laughs> think. Uh, so it, it, it is, as you, said, as you just said, developing the relationships keeping the communication so you know even if you've moved companies it's not just about c- contacting someone you know <laughs> when you've just moved and you then then you don't speak to them again it's it that i think one of the things with i guess networking client relationships is to keep that ongoing and that, you know i think linkedin's been brilliant for that because it it, mm. it helps to even you know when people have moved, they pop up, and then you can say, "Oh, congratulations!" You know, Miss up or you know, "Happy birthday, Happy Christmas," whatever it is. But it needs to be also in conjunction with the, the broader market of, of of raising the profile of of what it is you stand for as a you know whatever the organisation is you're working in.
0: One thing you you mentioned around the elevator pitch and your team being aware of what you sell and being able to spot an opportunity or a lead and Bring that back to the, the more senior members of the firm. Uh, my impression is in the industry below partner level, you, you do get some people who think in a dichotomy. They're just sort of you're a sales guy or a delivery guy, um, and quite often you'll hear people say, "Oh, I'm a delivery person. I don't do sales, or I don't like sales." It. From what you're saying, and I agree, it seems like it's an integral part of the industry. How do you foster that sales mentality in a, in a more junior team, and and encourage them to be, like you say, identifying the opportunities?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I I think because I grew up in a bit of a hybrid, I say, saying I had to go out and and get the business because I was generally in sort of uh, startup type situations. Mm. And so I did, I never really had a choice if I had to wait to, <laughs> for the um, for the work to land. Uh, and, and actually, my view is that as a consultant, you' you're always set you're always in the sales mode or marketing mode, however you like to call it, uh, because part of it is you're influencing the people to buy you and you know could be your services company. So what you know when I've worked with with different teams and particularly junior teams of people, I like them to get involved right at the beginning when we're developing the proposition to take to market and get involved in contacting people. Because I think, again, I I, I learned from having to contact people and have that, have that dialogue. Uh, even if it didn't lead to anything, it was just getting that practice of, the, as I say, the networking. Because one day, you know, even if you're in your 20s, as the people that you meet at uh, your peer's, Someday they, you know, they will be senior people, and um, and the world gets a lot smaller <laughs> as you get older. Um, so I have to say, I, I encourage people to, to to do their networking. I encourage them to be involved in the propositions and actually be able to see the big picture. So I think I've I've always liked that. That's my nature. I like to see the big picture. I, I'd be quite frustrated if I was only working in one little part of the picture and I didn't really understand how it all fitted together. Mm. So uh, from my from that perspective, uh, I, I think people that uh, people even when they've just gone into consulting should participate as much as possible, even if they're not always in the. end, you know, if you are pitching for business. I mean, what I've tried to do is avoid tenders, if I can, (laughs) because it's just, you know, hard work, slog. Uh, You're always going to be at least one of three, unless you've actually been party to actually developing the tender. I mean, that would be the better way. So I've always looked at being very proactive about going out to market and taking a viewpoint and almost creating that, creating the project rather than waiting for or you know, working with the client, and then they come up with, with the tender. Now it depends on the nature of the work that that's you know to be undertaken. Um, but as I say, as I, 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 my recommendation to anybody going into consulting: don't just part yourselves in delivery or or in sales. In fact, because again, mm-hmm. you know, if you, it's hard to sell something if you've not really delivered it, because you can't really bring it to life. You know, you can't really give the richness. Now, having said that, I have been of <laughs> myself. But I do try and spend a lot of time with the people who've been, you know, who've been in with, with that and have have actually, you know, so I'd, I'd, I'd obviously include them as part of the team because they would be the experts um, of, of that because I can't, I'm not an expert on everything and I'd be very specific about what, where my expertise is and where it isn't.
0: For people who are, like you say, maybe coming into the industry or, or quite junior and to your point, might not have delivered a customer experience project or program at- any sort of senior level, and people who are listening are thinking, well, well, that sounds great, but I, I don't know, I feel like I don't know anything about X or I don't really know about this area. What should they, what what conversations should they be having? What networking did you advise those junior colleagues actually to do where they might not be the expert in the proposition?
1: So I, my my advice would be very much to get, sort of get stuck in, as in, you know, read what you can, talk to the people who are the experts to understand, you know, what happened in this project. And and a lot, most consultancies will provide, will have produced, sorry, um, some form of case studies. So mm. start with the case studies and then actually get a bit more of a depth by talking to the people who've been heavily involved if it's a particular area. So let's say it was customer experience as an example, uh, you know, if there's a conference or any, any external activities, I would encourage attendance at those and also through through LinkedIn because there are various, you know, you can get you can mm-hmm. be parted to different forums so you can join different forums. And one of the one of the things that I was advised is, you know, really I think when you start out, you don't really know where you're going to end up and, and you you want to be a bit of a sponge because you don't know what you you don't know. Yeah. But if you find something that really interests you and excites you, then to my mind, really, really start to dig into that, you know, become the sort of expert and because that i mean i've seen people where they've developed fantastic propositions because they got interested interested in in a particular area and really sort of dug into that did you know undertook project part of part of the team of projects and and actually became you know real experts because they went above and beyond you know just uh, you know i'm I'm on a project and, and and i'm doing this particular bit of work and it might be you know if you're if you're if you're pretty junior you might end up having to do a lot of the admin for example but you know look beyond the admin what you know what what was this project about and, and tr- almost treat it as a bit of a challenge as to what can you learn from that project and and how could that be applied but if you could do another one for example so that to my, that's to my mind uh, is really sort of yeah say g- getting enthusiastic about it getting really excited about it is is the, obviously the way to go if you're not if you end up in a place you think this is really not me then I've absolutely move move to a different place um mm. that's what i would advise
0: feels like it comes back to that that core bit of advice you mentioned you you almost live your life by of it's not what happens but it's it's how you deal with it and you know like you say take what you can from everything even if it's not an area you're desperate to have a career in you know go and learn what you can about the industry or the client through that project and and take that out and just that point around clients because it's something I I know you've spoken about elsewhere about getting close to clients developing that closeness what does that mean to you and and how can people do it
1: yeah so I, I guess my my um my philosophy is very much uh, uh, in terms of um from a work perspective is is very much helping it, well it's helping helping my clients get close to their customers and obviously <laughs> I suppose as a as a consultant that's that's also that's also what I want to do because essentially consulting is all about people and relationships. Um, you know mm. people buy people ultimately you can have the best product in the world the best service etc but if you haven't got that connection it comes back to the sort of customer experience thing so there's an emotional thing that it's really hard to put your finger on but it is very much you know people buy people based on trust it's a bit like i suppose the financial services industry they always talk about trust because because that's that's something that people and trusting people with your money and that sort of thing. It's the same principle if you're you're doing you know, work and and particularly if it's in a an area where, you know, from a client's perspective, they are they are they are having to trust what you do that you will deliver. So by getting close, I think part of it is is also about really getting to know your customer. So again, you know, you can align that to the financial services industry of know your customer. Mm. The Same thing applies in, in consulting. Um, really understanding you know the market and and therefore the issues in the market that 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 will be being experienced by the clients, but then also really listening to the clients to understand what their issues are rather than I have this product, you know, do you want to buy it? For me that doesn't work. It's really getting, you know, say understanding of of, of and helping them, you know, how do I how do I help them to I guess improve from where they are and, and make it better for them in in the industry that they're, they're operating in. Um, and I think the other thing is is sort of the ongoing part. So it's I mean one of the things I have found actually, ironically actually since I've sort of gone down the portfolio route, but much more so is is from a networking point of view. Is everyone's really really willing, you know, re- really willing to help and put me in touch with different people and uh, and and I think you know, I, and I don't know why that is, but um, and I think part of it is is because of the relationships you have, and even when you don't know people that well, I think I think it's sort of end, that rapport, I suppose, developing the rapport and the, mm. the trust factor and And also, you know helping people, so I think there's all there's there's always that sort of karma of you help someone and, and they'll help you down the line. and I think that feels like it's quite a crescendo when people get to my as I am in life, we're going down that portfolio route, and I think everyone's in the same boat, so mm. everyone's very willing to help everybody else
0: and I think that brings us nicely on to your your portfolio route, as you say and and the change what was it that that made you decide to go down that route?
1: well i think it, it came it came down to uh, a meeting i well, it was two things actually one was i'd achieved what i'd sort of set out to achieve in my last my last role as head of financial services and but I wasn't feeling wholly fulfilled and i'd uh, you know looking back it i'd i'd been doing similar thing wearing different hats over a number of years and I wanted to do something a bit different but obviously i wanted to leverage my own experience you know my experience to date. And I'd met up with a, an ex-client, a stroke a colleague, um, who was talking about what they would been doing uh, on the non-exec circuit, and mm. it was really from there they suggested that you know g- go into my network and and you know ask. You know, ask people about what what their experiences or what their story um so i really that's what i did i set about so i sort of treated a bit of a project <laughs> um so i set about contacting all my my network and and then got introductions through through my network to other other people to really understand and no one has this no one has the same. You know, everyone has a different experience. And for me, I, I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to do. It the variety. I wasn't. I wasn't ready not to to do anything. And, and so I wanted to keep in with what's going on in the financial services sector. I've always enjoyed consulting, so I wanted to keep him with that, some shape or form. And I wanted to learn more about. And um, I'd, I've I'd done board advisory roles. I've been in executive executive roles. But I, I, I obviously, I hadn't really, uh, I hadn't done anything on the non-exec side, so it was really understanding what, what, what was it all about, um, what was different, how it was different, mm.
0: and what did you just on that point around going out to your content, What was that first message? Was it? in effect what you've just said written down how, how did you go out and approach those first contacts oh,
1: well i i um well i i sort of contacted them either because i had their email address or linkedin or phone or what have you um and i just first of all i went to the people who i knew who were already non-exec directors and mm. just said you know can, come 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 have a chat i'm looking at doing this but i don't you know if i want to get some advice in terms of how to go about it what to do so I actually spent a lot of time meeting people, speaking to people on the phone, um, just to really understand their their journey, their story, how they how they went about it, what were the ups and downs, pros and cons, what to watch out for, what I what I needed to do to secure a role. And it's a it's a very it's, it's weird it, it it's a bit like going back to school. So you you okay. think you have think sort of not top of the tree, but you think you've sort of climbed the ladder. Although a lot of the time it can be climbing a wall, but you know you, you've gone up the ladder of, of, of a career, and actually you're you're starting a new ladder, it, it, but in parallel it's quite strange, and so and it, it's almost a bit like going from primary school to senior school. So suddenly you're a bit like the junior person, and you have really got to. Mm. Um, and in terms of because you've you've been seen as the expert or or of a, a, a particular position in your career suddenly you're sort of bit back to square one um, because you haven't, it's a bit, and it's a bit like the equity card. So, you know, you've got to get the equity card to, to get into acting. And, and it's a bit like a non-exec role. You, you sort of need the role to get in there, but you haven't got mm-hmm. it. So, you know, I was pretty lucky. So through my, again, through my network, um, I got a, a non-exec role. It happened to be at the time somebody want, um, in a company who was looking to, sort of grow the business so some of the stuff that I'd done in my 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 own in the exec career and was a very much a sort of digital organization as well which again was a lot of what I've, I've been involved with in the in previous years and uh and so I, I I I sort of got that role and that sort of spurred me on to to then take that leap I guess uh and then from there I've through again through networking and people I know and people who no people, etc. So I've had a, a number of different sort of portfolio activities that I've undertaken. And I'm sort of in the throes at the moment of, you know, various interviews and what have you. So <laughs> watch the space.
0: What is it you found, found the biggest challenge as you've sort of grown that portfolio? Like you said, the, the first one was a you know contact of yours and they were looking for someone. As you've grown out the others, what, what have you found the, been the biggest challenge to, to getting those non-exec roles and sort of and filling that portfolio?
1: Well it's quite a set process so you have to so when you're in your exec career you might you know get a phone call and can you go and meet so- and 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 you know it, you might get work or another role based on the back of, of that with uh, with a non-exec type role it, it's a very different process so you need a very specific CV which is set out in a very particular way and that took quite a bit of time actually.
0: Is that CV in terms of roles you've done, or CV in terms of how it's structured? Uh,
1: the, the way it's structured in terms of how you, yeah, in terms of how you structure a a CV for a non-exec position.
0: So it's very it's very specific. And At how I, I don't know if it's possible to summarize it sort of um, broadly.
1: So it, it has to be it, it, no more than two. It's quite specific. so It's no more <laughs> than generally no more than two sides, and then it's set out in a particular way that so you have obviously your summary. But again, it's quite, it's quite specific how that's set out and then some of your key, key achievements. So it's, it's, it's less of the sort of chronological, you know, I worked here and this is what I did and uh, et cetera. Mm. it's very much about the outcomes. It's very concise, very succinct uh just the whole thing is just very different to the the normal cv and and takes mm. quite a bit of, so it's a bit like you know if you had to do a presentation but you've only got five minutes versus 40 minutes to try and get what you want to say in five minutes it it it, it takes quite a bit of quite a bit of articulation and you know refinement and that sort of thing
0: how did you go on that journey of refinement is, is there a website you found is there you know guides to it is there a
1: Yeah, lots of different ways. So I I actually spoke to lots of recruiters to find Mm. out. uh, And actually, I got given some templates as well. So I I changed my templates a bit as I went along. But and then I I had a look on. um, So I joined one of the non-exec networks and they gave access to people, you know, to sort of thing. They give you some support. On your so they, you can send your CV in and then they'll sort of <laughs> tell you what's right or wrong. You can actually you can go to places they'll you can pay people to actually do the CV for you. And 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 I, I mine sort of I suppose mine mine developed over time really. So pr- probably where I was when I started, it's quite it, uh, it's the same content but just looks quite different and um, mm. as, as I say a bit more succinct. But the I, I guess the other thing is the, the C there's this sort of CV part. But then I, I think it's also in terms of really being, I think I mentioned before the elevator pitch. So you know, what's your story, and, ha- and having that really articulated very succinctly in terms of you know where you are, what you're looking for. So people know instantly where you might fit as a non-exec, because it's not. What happens is because it's you, you, you could be one of a number of non-execs, or and, and the exec board. Uh, what, what the boards are looking for are where do you, you know, what, what what's the gap the, the mm. gap to be filled and, and 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 you have to be it may be you, you might tick all the boxes but actually when push comes to shove you may not be the right person because of the what the, the nature of the experience and skills they've got around the table
0: mm. so it's
1: it's not is although they might specify this is what we're looking for it might may be slightly different when it when when you get you know all the people around the table
0: um, uh, and that elevator else. pitch do you find it are people looking for your experience so yeah, what you achieved or is it more around proposition and your skill set and area so is it i've grown a consulting firm or is it i'm an expert in customer experience or or is it both it's
1: it's a combination and i think it also depends on what they're looking for at a particular time so non-exec mm. roles tend to be three three yearly in term and you usually do two terms um and it depends on the it depends on where where the organization is in their development. So they may be looking for a particular type of non-exec at the early stage, which could be very different from a you know more mature organization, for example, or, or, or depending on the you know the skills and experience. but it it, it, it is it's, it's not just what you've done. It, it's also yeah, it's also about what you've what you've achieved. And um, mm. and it's also a very different experience from from a, from an exec role because you know they you know they say it's like nose in hands out, <laughs> so you need to know what's going on, but you're not there on the day to day, you know, with the sleeves rolled up uh, doing the work.
0: How have you adjusted to that? Because that must have been a bit of a shift, being nose in not hands in.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because it is and it isn't because when I was in consulting, I also, I, I did quite a few board advisory roles. Um, mm. And I did a lot of work in the strategy area. So th- there's an element of, you know, you you know, you're only there for a specific period of time. And actually, at the end of the day, the client has to run with whatever is going on. And a lot of the, the t- type of work that I, I did, I, I've done has been very much advising the people on the board, um, to a degree anyway. So I haven't, I haven't, I haven't felt it, it's, a, a, an issue that some people may feel um, they've experienced to, to the same degree.
0: For those who who are listening and thinking, actually, I, I want to move into that sort of board advisory, that that non-exec style role. What have you found to be the, I guess, the minimum prerequisites? Uh, you know, is it is it that you've got to be of a a certain have been of a certain experience? Is it you know to is it an age thing? What is it that for those thinking about whether you know who want to go into it they need to almost self-audit against before they start looking down that road
1: yeah I think I mean my uh, I mean I, I I wish I'd sort of sort of was aware of this or started this this journey much earlier than I did just just in terms of understanding so I sort of did a mm. bit of a cram um cramming of it but I, I think I think it's it's really, you know, doing the groundwork. So, you know, some people will take it whilst they're still in the cor- corporate world, um, and my advice would be if you get the opportunity, do, because you, I think you can learn so much as well as the, what you're doing in the corporate world because it's, a slightly, it's looking at it from a different lens. And uh, and then, um, uh, but as I say, the it, it, it's, it's, uh, so there's an element of doing your research Talking to as many people as you can who are who are already non execs um, to really understand what it what it's about. And um, there are there are courses that you can do about being coming a non an effective non exec, which gives you a you know gives you a a view of the different areas you need to focus on from a, a mm. governance perspective.
0: Are there any? I don't know if you did any yourself that maybe you recommend. Uh, well, don't I I did, not. I
1: did I did a becoming an, an effective non-exec director which was a net on board course mm-hmm. so yeah I, I definitely recommend that And it was what was good was they had different people sort of almost coming in who so someone who's from legal someone from a governance perspective um, someone else from a CV's perspective just to give their views on you know how these how, you know how you go how you approach these things and what some of the issues are and what some things to look out for it so I, I definitely recommend that um but as i say I, I you know one of the i think i think the network thing is is definitely the way to go and mm. d- you know always even when you're talking to someone find out who else they might know who you can talk to as well um because the more people it, it just builds up such a rich picture which is which and also that you know if they if people are aware then they may look out for you as well in terms of if something pops up on their boards for example they might come to you and say, "Oh, I'm aware of you know this particular opportunity uh, for a role. This might suit you, or etc." Or you know, give me your CV. Um, so it's definitely worth definitely uh, worth that. And and I think it's about being persistent. Um, so one of the things that people say with going down the non-exec route is it it it, it is it is not an e- it's not easy, and part of it is about building a resilience. So you might think you're the perfect fit, but and you might be on paper. But effectively, it d- depends on who else is on the board and what other skill sets there are as to whether what you're offering fits. So it maybe it's nothing wrong with your offering or who you are. Um, it can it can be about the fact that actually, you know, you're too similar to someone else and they need, they need something else that's quite different, for example.
0: In terms of those points around the resilience and that, that network, have you noticed any difference when when you're speaking to, say, smaller firms looking for non-execs versus larger firms i don't know if there's any sort of trends you've noticed or commonalities around approaching smaller versus approaching larger firms
1: well i say with smaller firms you you tend to have the sort of owner founder who's sort of the main uh, ultimately the main decision maker so the the the, i mean i'm and i'm going on my experience with with Mm. role i've got moment so it, it is very much a there is an element of you know advisory but that's part of the non exec um, role in the sense that it, you you are there to to challenge and support um, at the same time <laughs> and i guess it's it's quite intense in that sense that it's a lot smaller you know decision making mm. in the, the 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 larger end um, where you've got a, you know much bigger board it, the, the, there's probably, I mean, I I did some work recently with a board evaluation company, and it was really looking at what's challenging boards in relation to the based on the sort of cornerstones of, of governance. And what was interesting is, and particularly in the sort of larger boards, there's still quite a lot of focus on which. I'm not saying that's wrong, but it's on on the process. And actually, there's a the you know culture is really important. You know, in terms of understanding. The nature of that organisation and how they behave and work, what they say and what they do, so they are quite, they are quite, they are quite different. But you know, it's it's good either way. It's not it's not one that's better than another or anything like that.
0: So I want to turn to another part of your portfolio, which is uh, the work you do for women in business. So I know you're on a number of awards panels, so women in women in investment. Sorry, for instance, um, I also know you you mentor a number of women in the wealth management industry and wider. What is your view on on diversity at the moment in financial services, and and what advice do you find yourself giving to to some of the firms that you are a, a non-exec for?
1: so for me diversity isn't isn't just about gender for example um yeah. I, I think it's about thought you know what, what you're thinking your background where you where you've come from in your as i say your experience and to my mind you know the best t- teams i've ever worked with is where everyone's so it's nothing to do with with whether you're a man or a woman necessarily it's the what you bring to the party you know te- if you're very mm. technology te- technology oriented finance oriented marketing strategy so I think it's about you want that mixture of, of people who think a bit differently to you and embracing them. And, you know, as I say, that, and, and like some people are very visual, some people are very process oriented, some people are very analytical, some people are very people oriented. Um, and so, again, I think that's, to, to my mind, that's sort of the, the perfect, you know, perfect world of in, in terms of from a diversity perspective. In relation to, you know, you talked about women investment, et cetera. I interestingly I you know obviously there is there's much more of a a focus of getting women on on boards some sectors within financial services are much more I say open than than others are currently and I mean I've been on in a number of um discussions where you know there's a thought of well you know is it sort of like the token woman on the board and mm. you know, and actually the response which you know I sort of agree with really is well does it really matter get on the board and prove <laughs> prove yourself and um, don't worry about necessarily what other, other people think but equally what you don't want is a situation where someone's placed on the board just because they're a woman and therefore that ticks a box mm. you know, it comes back to this diversity of thought if if as part of the people, sitting on at the board table you know they all look alike and think alike that's not good for business Uh, and and that can have you know detrimental impact long term on the business so I, I think it's it's sort of taking the gender part of it or you know race part of it or whatever it is it's more thinking about when when you know when you've got those people around the table have you got that mix and that that focus but as I say going back to sort of women investment that's I mean, I've I I'm i have mean, really been enjoying that because some of the um, some of the things that women have achieved, which is not really not you know I hadn't really I wouldn't have known had I not had not stop, had not been the judge on that, has been quite phenomenal. They've what they've achieved, and but one of the things actually that did come through to me as a judge was almost some of the because obviously the submissions were in writing. Um, was quite, there's quite a high lack of confidence, I thought, in, in that came through, which is which is quite sad, really, because you know uh, people should be shouting about you know what they've done and, and that sort of thing, and what they've achieved. So I think there's, mm-hmm. there's still a, quite a long way to go. I don't, you know, I think we're we're at the um, we're we're still at the embryonic stage, you know, and I, I, but I think it will really speed up. So I, I do think, you know, if we look back in five years' time it would be a very different landscape and we hopefully won't be talking about, you know, women and diversity.
0: No, and it's, it, and it's a good point. It's a topic I think interesting to touch on and your view is one that a number of guests have shared and I, I, I fully agree with you. Hopefully in five five years time there won't be a topic to discuss. For those who are entering the industry and we've we've talked a little bit about the sales side, what advice do you do you give to those or have given to those who who are entering the industry, and, and what is it in consulting? What advice should they ignore?
1: Well, I think first of all, in entering the the industry, I mean, I I, I just think what think about what you can learn. Just really be a sponge. There'll be stuff that you already have, you know, you already have some experience or knowledge or skill uh, that you can you can probably contribute. So don't don't equally think that you you know you can't contribute to to um, to what what's going on. Um, but I, I think it's all it's it's about having a really you know curious mind, a can do attitude. I think consultant goes hand in hand with problem solver. So I think naturally consultants always look for the, okay, well, that's the issue. How can we, you know, how can we resolve this? What can we do to mm. improve this? Don't feel really you have to be an expert on day one. You know, some things are real, really common sense. Um, so I think it's, it, it, it's you know, having the confidence that you will have something to contribute at the same time, having the, I suppose, the humility that you, the, the stuff that you can learn. Um, I think that, that will stand you in good stead And then from a consultant perspective, it's also not doing all the talking. So sometimes I think people who want to be perceived as the expert, and I've been there, you know, when I first started out, you you think to be Mm. an expert, you have to be able to talk about everything all the time. And actually, no, you don't. <laughs> and I think you probably get much further if you're doing the listening first, because then you can apply what you've heard to, to what it is that you think you're the expert about, or if you see what I mean. So, I, I, I And I do think also not being too fixated on something. So if you have a particular product or proposition or service, not being too fixated on oh, this has to be the answer, because mm. sometimes you can be talking to a client and actually... And you might have been brought in because of this proposition that you've, you know, you've sort of dangled in front of them. But actually, the um, the the answer or the the project is slightly different or completely different. It doesn't really matter. So yeah, as I say, don't feel that you, you have to be on that train track. I suppose you have to be quite nimble and flexible about what you do. I think the other thing is not to procrastinate. So you know, if you're if if you're trying to go to market or or do I contact that person? What do I do? it's just go for it is my view obviously as long as you're prepared so you know it's always the you know, if you fail to prepare you're prepared to fail so mm. really make sure you've done your homework and that sort of thing but as I say it, it's holding back you know you, no one ever regrets not doing something it's uh, so it's getting 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 get, doing stuff actually you know getting that started getting things going I think that's that's the way to the way to go
0: yeah. And that, that networking piece. And I know we've talked quite a bit bit about networking and you know, it's been vitally important in, in your journey. It made me think of something that I, I've heard junior consultants say previously, which is to, along the lines of I wouldn't really know what to say once I networked. So if we went for a coffee and I, I almost wonder I'd be interested to get your view on this. I, I sometimes wonder if people think there's almost a sort of verbal dance you have to do when you network. And Actually, to your point, you know, simply having a chat, telling people what you're after, listening to what they're after, seems as simple as that. But I'd be interested to get your take.
1: I mean, I, th- I think there's an element of social because you want to be able to get on with, with the person you're networking with. So there's a there's an element of finding that common that common ground, um, which doesn't have to always be you know business. Um, so it could be family or sport or whatever you know whatever whatever interest you might have and it's also treating the you know that they they are people at the end of the day (laughs) the clients are people Um, and actually in a business environment everyone you know everyone knows ultimately oh you know you're you're looking for business you know I'm a client or vice versa and and so there's an element of and and I think the you know again in any situation if you're genuinely interested in somebody and you're you know asking questions and you uncover so much information that that helps you then to if you like apply your proposition or whatever or you know whatever it is you think you can help them with you've you've demonstrated that you you know you you've listened to them and understand where they're coming from rather than being a possible sort of bull in the china shop and actually the other thing as well is Um, to my mind you know if you're if you're contacting someone and and they say they say no or they they don't answer sometimes people are really busy and it's just that you Mm. might have sent an email and they've forgotten so there's no harm in you know what's the worst they can do they can ignore you (laughs) um so it's sort of not being afraid to 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 approach people and and even when people haven't you know haven't come back later down the road you know they may be in a situation they want to get your help and 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 again being open yeah yeah let's have it let's meet up and let's have a chat and what have you and and it may not it may not lead to anything it may you know it may be just a great conversation or you know they put you in touch with somebody else so it's never to I don't think ever never see a conversation as it's you've got to have something out of it sometimes it's mm. just you know we had a great chat and actually they you know I, I i didn't realize they knew so and so or you know they had they had this interest and you know that then may pop up further down the line so it's it's it, as i say it's not being not being pushy and um and and really really sort of, it's all about people again it's about you know understand people uh, um get to know get to know people um what they're about
0: one of the the things in there especially highlighted around don't, just because someone may may not respond or says not right now is is not necessarily a door closed and i can't remember where the quote quote was from but i remember uh reading it when it stuck with me of don't don't blame on rudeness what you could blame on busyness and in, in, you know exactly like you say often people are just simply oh i forgot the email i missed the email but you know if you don't go back you never know and i i, I think that that and, like you say, the broader piece just around the the longevity of relationships and the importance of that is fantastic and a, a really a really important point. So, I'm I'm very conscious of of your time, and, and I've got one more question, really, just to to touch on. It's one that I ask all my guests, and I think. Some of these answers may be things that we've touched on, and I'm sure they will be. But I, I like to ask this at the end uh, to, to really hone in on those key key pieces. And, and the question is that you have you have three people in front of you, three three individuals listening to this. One who's who's just starting their career, who I think we've we've just given a lot of advice to. One who's four to five years in, so sort of middle of the grades below partner. Take it how you wish, but consultant to manager level. And then you, you've got one who's who's approaching partner uh, what piece of advice would you you give to each of them
1: so i think for someone starting their career which i've probably mentioned already but uh, uh, it's really you know go go in there and just as be a sponge learn as much Mm. as you can and and perhaps get quite abroad even if there's something you're not sure about to have a go try it and if you don't like it you know that's not what you want to do so you can you can then focus on something else but I would also get all the training you can get because some of the consultants out there have some fantastic training and i and i say that actually to all all uh, all three categories um even if, and i and i it's one of the things wow. i didn't do as much as i because i you get so busy you don't but actually it's really good for you <laughs> and it's even if it's a refresher i, I just think it reminds mm-hmm. you of, of things that you can get it's a bit like driving test isn't it you know you, you can i've never, never passed my driving test at the moment but i'd have to you know be, be getting yeah. back into that into the things that you need to focus on and also uh, i think it's um uh, when you when you start out it, it you know if you start broad you can then narrow down so that when you get to the sort of four to five years in this is about i think this is really important to think about how you know what's the value you're creating um what do you want to be famous for what's your expertise what's your your own brand um and what's your own what's the value proposition so it's 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 honing that that area where you, you are, you know, you can be seen as the expert. So whether it's, you know, project manager, particular industry guru, particular capability, whatever it might be, then it's really thinking about and, and really sort of you know, honing in on the, uh, really understanding, researching, attending the conferences, speaking to other people who are in your, who are, you know, perhaps on the same sort of forums, etc., But at the same time, it's always be prepared to to adapt. So, you know, what what you find is there are definite emerging themes and trends over time. And it's really making sure you can catch the wave. <laughs> so um, you know whether it's you know sort of my world had been around sort of distribution platforms, technology, digital customer experience. Um, it, it's always looking ahead. So I always think take a bit, always take a bit of a helicopter view every now and again, and just look at you know what is up going on out there, not just in your world, but out 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 there. And that comes back to the networking because you pick up so much of other things that are going on in your your industry or outside your industry that could apply to your industry for example and as i say keep keep making the most of training because i again i think one thing that i sort of learnt a bit far down the road but it is 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 take time to invest in yourself in terms of improving yourself and, and not just improving yourself on the job but also the, the, taking time out to do some of the training if if that's on offer or even asking for the training if you think there's a particular Gap in your, you know, skill set or experience or what have you, and then the last bit, which is around the partner. Um, so, so to to my mind, you know, in terms of, I I guess is always think about. You're not always climbing a ladder. You can be climbing a wall when you think you might be climbing a ladder. (laughs) Um, I like that phrase. Yeah. So, so I always think have a have a bit of a, and again, it's sort of that bridge between the four to five years and partner, but. Always think you've got a bit of a rucksack on your back, and you're chucking a load of experience and skills and ex- what have you on the way. When you, I think, by the time you get towards partner, you're you're getting much more into. It's very much focused on business development, building a business. You you, you end up from being, if you like, the expert on particular projects to managing a number of projects. So you have to sort of leverage yourself up um, and make sure there are people who can if you like, take on some of the role that you've been doing, because it's very easy. And again, I've been there to be a bit of a hamster on the wheel, where you're, you may part of the selling the project, but then you have to get involved in the delivery. And then you can't, you haven't got the time to go and you know sell more projects, because you're so focused on the delivery. So it's really trying to create, and and this is what again, consultants are are pretty bad at, but it's creating that or codifying that IP, the IP could be uh, intellectual property could be Method, your methodology your you know templates that you use could be software whatever it is that really needs to be a time taken to actually make sure that's in place so that new people coming in can 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 really get up the ladder quite quickly in terms of what's going on or you've got more junior people who can who can learn on the job much more quickly, and therefore, when they come to the next project, you know they they can do a bit more and take take some of the uh, take some of the work off yourself. But essentially, it's really thinking about how, uh, sort of building building your business and the people aspect. Obviously, are key um, in terms of managing, coaching, mentoring. And I, I think the other thing as well in terms of you know people chase title, and you know we've all we've all been there. I've been there. And and actually, you know, sometimes it's it's good to think about well, what what is it what what is it that matters to you? Is it what what, what is it about the role? Because you have been doing it a long time. So, do some people actually genuinely prefer to you know do the delivery in the projects and and being a partner is a very different kettle of fish because you've got lots of projects, you've got a, a business with lots of you know with lots of people running the commercials, the negotiations, the contracting, etc. So it becomes quite a different kettle of fish to getting stuck into a project working with with a particular client so i think there's a, an element of as you as you're approaching that that time you know what do you want to do and you know it's the partner isn't necessarily always the right thing for you mm. as an individual so and that's quite a hard thing because you know we we're all <laughs> we all aspire and what have you and as i say that's not necessarily the right thing and i think these days actually you know it's it being a you know founding companies or owning companies or setting companies up it's a much easier to do than it probably was 20 mm. odd years ago so again looking at what you want to do sometimes people don't want to be in that corporate world and look at okay well and uh, you know what, what what's the framework that i want to be able to run my own business and who do i need to you know work with to that will help me develop a business going forward
0: yeah, really good advice. And actually, I'm going to be a bit cheeky because I, what you've just said has prompted me on that piece around people going out on their own. I I think, especially given your situation, if, I think there's a fourth person to add to this question, which is people who have who have heard this conversation and think actually I'd I'd love to go out and be more of a non-exec, take a portfolio approach. I'd be interested if for those maybe who choose not to go down the partner route or jump out afterwards or what what that one bit of advice would be for them
1: so again what i would say is uh do, do a lot of talking to people and um, reach out <laughs> to your network their network really under so you, you get a really good understanding of, of their stories but, but and their journeys but recognizing that that may not be your journey really looking into what if you like what's what's needed you know, where things have gone well, not so well. I mean, if you take like Carillion, for example, you know, you have to think mm-hmm. twice, you know, you might think twice about, you know, because actually one of the big, big issues, particularly, so you've got financial services with SMR, senior manager regime, yeah. and the liability aspect, you know, down to the individual, the the, the personal reputation, which can be in tatters. Because you happen to be on a board where something went wrong, which may not have been your fault, but you—it's on your watch. And uh, and and, but you know, I think for me, well, from my perspective, I think it's really looking at you know what can you contribute, understanding the, that particular organisation, their understand you know their the industry that they're in, their issues. What is it that you can bring or you can contribute to? To you think you can contribute to that board and really. And and also doing your due diligence before you you know before you um, jump in, as it were.
0: Fantastic! No, great advice, and uh, yes, I think there's that key piece around networking is something that suddenly I'm I'm taking away from this interview at all levels. So so you know really really good for my listeners. So for those who have listened to this, maybe they want to talk to you about Ned's opportunities. Maybe they just want to find out more about you. Find out more about the the awards work you've done or your story, where, where can people connect with you? Uh, where can they find out more? Where would you point them to?
1: Uh, well, I'm on on LinkedIn. And also my email address is Joanna R. Hall at hotmail.com. If you want to drop me a line, I'm very happy to um, to talk to them.
0: Brilliant, Joanna. And I'll put both of those in the show notes so that people can find them if they uh, couldn't write them down fast enough or are uh, listening to this on their commute, as I, I usually do with podcasts. Uh, so... All, all that's left to say really is thank you very much. I've really enjoyed catching up, really enjoyed the conversation and all the best for the rest of the week.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, Nick.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Climb in Consulting podcast. If you did, I would be very grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher or your podcast platform of choice, whichever one you may be using. And please also share this with anyone that you think could benefit from hearing today's interview. If you want to get in touch or give me any feedback about the podcast, please feel free to drop me an email. It's nick at climbinconsulting.com and I look forward to hearing from you.